0: Beloved Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, recently Dr. Jordan Peterson has been in the news. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto, who became popular with his critique of political correctness. He stated that he would not be willing to use new proposed gender pronouns by which transgender people want to be identified. Dr. Peterson has drawn a lot of attention by speaking about the need for people to take personal responsibility for their lives. He's become popular among young men for challenging them to man up. Dr. Peterson is a clinical psychologist with thousands of hours of counseling experience. He is an intelligent and capable man. Last week, he spoke in Winnipeg at the Burton Cummings Theatre He's on a tour promoting his book, 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. In this book, he promotes some common sense principles for how to live your life. Peterson is aware that our society is losing its roots. He comes up with some rules to help people live decent and productive lives. As Christians, we can be tempted to latch on to someone like this. We like the fact that he attacks radical feminism and the LGBT agenda, that he speaks boldly about manning up and taking personal responsibility for our lives. But are Peterson's rules truly an antidote to the chaos that many people experience in their lives? Let me ask that question in a slightly more general way. Can any set of rules change people and make them better? We might be tempted to think so. But look at what God's people Israel did with his perfect list of commandments. Time and again, they violated those commandments. They could not live according to them. Further, when a group of people arose who thought they were keeping the commandments, they were the biggest bunch of hypocrites who ever lived. Outwardly, the Pharisees kept God's commandments, but Jesus pronounced seven woes on them for not walking in close fellowship with God. Rules don't change people. Some may conform to certain rules so they don't get into trouble. Some will rebel against rules because they can't stand being told what to do. But rules in and of themselves don't change people's hearts. Despite his insight into human nature, Jordan Peterson hasn't realized this. Real change of heart can only come through an encounter with God by coming into his presence by being confronted with who he is as our majestic and glorious God is through meeting with God that real heart change takes place it's only that kind of heart change that will lead to living our lives with meaning and purpose we see this as we continue to examine the life of Jacob. Jacob has met with God at Bethel on the way to Haran, where his uncle Lot lived. At the time, he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! It's none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. On his way back from Uncle Lot's place, God met him at the Jabbok River. There, God wrestled with Jacob. After his encounter, Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Yet these close encounters with God still had not brought lasting change to Jacob's life. And so once more, God intervenes in Jacob's life, commanding him to go to Bethel and to make an altar there. In this encounter, we see the Lord's relentless grace in pursuing Jacob, in drawing him into close fellowship with him. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Jacob and his family return to Bethel, to the house of God. We'll see how Jacob's family is purified and presented to God and how Jacob's family is blessed by God. In Genesis 31, verse 3, while still living in Haran with Uncle Lot, the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Jacob did not delay in leaving from Haran, but he also did not return to the land of his fathers. The Lord's command was a reminder to Jacob of the vow he had made at Bethel. Jacob said that if God blessed him and kept him so that he returned to his father's house in peace, then the Lord would be his God, and the stone he set up as a pillar would be God's house, and that he would give God a tenth of all he received. Yet Jacob was negligent in fulfilling his vow made at Bethel. After leaving Uncle Lot's place, Jacob delayed in entering the promised land. Instead, he built himself a house at Succoth and settled there. Later, he crossed into Canaan, but he stopped some 20 kilometers short of returning to Bethel. Instead, he, shed, he settled at Shechem, where the Hivites lived. That ended in disaster. Dinah was raped by Shechem, and her brother Simeon and Levi sought revenge by slaughtering the men of that city and plundering all they had. Jacob was angry with them, for he felt they had put the family at risk of being destroyed by the other Canaanite tribes. Some 10 to 15 years have passed since Jacob left Haran to return to Canaan. His sons have grown up. Genesis 34 makes it clear that they are now the ones caring for their father's sheep. Simeon and Levi were old and strong enough to attack the men of Shechem, and kill all the men there. It's clear that Jacob has neglected the call for him and his family to return to Bethel, to be reconciled with God. Jacob has been drifting for far too long, took a crisis in his life to bring him back to God. For quite some time now, Jacob's life has been marked by spiritual apathy, At Peniel, Jacob wrestled with God. The Lord had changed his name from Jacob to Israel. He taught Jacob not to rely on himself, but to trust in God for his blessing. God touched Jacob's hip. He left him with a permanent limp to remind him that it was only with God at his side that he could face life. The result was that Jacob faced Esau's coming without fear. He had the assurance of God's ongoing presence in his life. But during the years at Shechem, this changed. Slowly, Jacob had drifted from the Lord and from his service. It's in this context that God once again spoke to Jacob. He said, arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Notice, beloved, God's grace toward Jacob. For a period of years, he had again been backsliding. But God is faithful. He remembers his promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Despite Jacob's half-hearted service of God, God remembers him. And he calls him once more to return to him. Beloved, doesn't our text teach us much about our own lives? At times God draws us to himself in a special way. Often that is in the context of trials and sorrows. We need comfort or strength or encouragement. And the Lord provides for us. And then for a time we live close to Him. We can also go through times of spiritual apathy. We go through times when we're not really all that close to God. Times when we're drawn away from God by the pursuit of material things. We get drawn away by what the world has to offer us. Distracted from the service of God by social media, By sports and other things. There's times when we neglect to read the Bible and talk to God in our personal prayers. Then we too can drift from the service of the Lord. By ourselves, we will not come back to God. Jacob never came back to God by his own accord. Think of the history of God's people, Israel. When they drifted from the Lord and strayed from his word and will, they never spontaneously repented and returned to God on their own either. God had to send them messengers. At times, he had to bring trouble on them. God needs to take the initiative. In John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. That's what God is doing in our text. His grace toward Jacob is relentless. Once more, he calls his wayward son to come back to him. Yet Jacob needs to make changes before he can heed God's call. He needs to clean up his act before he goes to appear before God. Please note, beloved, that God doesn't tell Jacob to do this or to do that before he comes to worship at Bethel. God doesn't approach Jacob with a list of rules. Rules will never change his heart. God calls Jacob to come to make an altar at Bethel. Bethel, remember, is the house of God. Jacob realizes that if he is to appear in God's presence, he needs to put his house in order. It's like he's going to enter the palace of the king, a place where splendor and majesty and glory are all around. He was coming to God, who is holy, 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 So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. We know that when Jacob fled from Laban, Rachel stole some of her father's household gods. Evidently, these gods were being worshipped in Jacob's household. And Jacob knew that if he and his family were going to appear before God, they needed to be devoted to him alone. And so Jacob gathers all the foreign gods they had, and he hid them under a tree near Shechem. Jacob also calls his family and all who were with him to purify themselves and to put on clean clothes. Genesis 34 was a chapter about defilement. Dinah was raped by Shechem. And Jacob's house was defiled by the murderous, murderous rage of Simeon and Levi. And now the whole of Jacob's family and all who are with him are called to repent of their sins, to prepare themselves to meet with God. Part of their preparation was that they needed to change their garments. What does that mean? Through Moses, God gave the Israelites a similar command before they appeared to him at Mount Sinai. They were commanded to consecrate themselves, that is, make themselves holy, and to wash their garments. One of the things that his family did was get rid of their earrings. It seems like in some way these earrings were more often associated with the worship of the gods of the culture around them. The point, beloved, is that Jacob calls his family and all those with him to repentance. Repentance requires a change of heart, a change in desires, a change in loyalty, a change of behavior. His family needed to turn away from the idols they had served and to turn to the living God of heaven and earth. Same applies to us, beloved. When we drift away from the service of the Lord, we need to acknowledge that, to confess our sins and humble ourselves before God. True repentance involves the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new, of the spirit-led nature. In the New Testament, the image of putting off dirty clothes and putting on clean ones, is often used to describe this change. Before the sermon, we sang together some stanzas of Psalm 24. The psalmist asks, Who shall ascend the hill of God, and who shall stand in his holy place? He responds, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. The psalmist goes on to show that it is such a person who will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. What we need to understand, beloved, is that we cannot come to God on our own. We cannot clean our own hands or purify our own hearts. It's only God who can give us his righteousness and holiness. So we're able to appear before him. So we live in communion with him. God has done that in Jesus Christ. Jesus did not serve other gods. He was totally committed to doing the will of his father in heaven. He went so far that he offered himself on the cross To pay the price to redeem us from our sins. It's in Christ that we are made a new creation. God not only takes the initiative to call us back to him. He also makes us righteous and holy through the gracious work of his son and spirit. Your beloved God involves us in his work of redeeming and renewing us jacob was commanded to appear before god at bethel and he decided to go and he prepared himself and his family by putting away the idols among them and purifying themselves and putting on clean clothes god works in us in similar manner he calls us to faith and repentance He works these things in us, so we actually do believe and repent. We are not puppets on a string that God manipulates from heaven above. With heart and soul and mind and strength, we are called to respond to God's gracious work for us. Beloved, each Sunday we're called to appear before God in worship. We can choose to heed that call, or we can choose to reject it. We have to decide whether we're going to get out of bed in the morning and come to church. And coming to church involves more than just showing up. When we gather in worship, we actually come together in the presence of God. In our worship, God speaks to us and we respond to him. You cannot truly come to God if your heart is not right before him. In Christ, God grants us the righteousness and holiness of Christ. These are rich gifts of his grace offered to all who have faith in him as those who have received God's grace. You and I are called to put aside the things that are polluting us and destroying us. We need to get rid of all our idols, of all the things we look to for comfort and security in life. We need to repent of our sins, to humble ourselves before God. We're called to renew our first love, and to lay aside the things that so easily distract us so we may pursue a living relationship with the Lord. Jacob was willing to do that. In this instance, he provided good spiritual leadership in his family. He not only prepared them to come before God, he also explained why they should go to worship him. Jacob explained that he wanted to go and make an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob knows in his heart and he acknowledges to his family that the Lord alone is the true God. He is the one who has loved Jacob and cared for him from the time he left his father's family until that day. Jacob desires Renewed communion with the Lord his God. God blessed Jacob's decision to respond to his call to come and worship him at Bethel. Jacob had been worried that the Canaanites and Parasites would band together and come after him and his family and attack and destroy them for killing the men of Shechem. Yet our text says that a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. We see the Lord's grace in caring for Jacob's family so they could actually come to worship him at Bethel. Take encouragement from this, beloved. At times when we have drifted from the Lord and his service, it can be so hard for us to come back. We feel like there are so many obstacles preventing us from renewed communion with God and with his people. When you hear God's call to come back, take that first step. God will bless that. He will open the way for you. God desires intimate communion with his people. It's Satan who wants to keep us apart from him. Step out in faith, trusting in the Lord to bless you. Our father has a deep and abiding love for his children. He will bless all those who come to him with humble and contrite hearts. This brings us to our second point, and we'll see how Jacob's family is blessed by God. When Jacob comes to Bethel, he builds an altar to the Lord. Finally, he has returned to the place from which he set out so many years earlier, where God had blessed him and promised to be with him. Jacob has come to fulfill his vow to God. Here we see him committing himself and his household to the Lord. Jacob responds to the Lord's covenant faithfulness by renewing his commitment to serve the Lord as his God. In response, God appeared to Jacob again. God repeated his covenant promises to him. God confirmed that his name would no longer be Jacob, but that he would be called Israel. Jacob is no longer the liar, the deceiver, the manipulator. By God's grace, he has changed. That change was symbolized by the taking off of old clothes and the putting on of new ones as he purified himself to present himself before God. But it involved heart change. A change of heart, of loyalty, of the direction of his life. And so when Jacob appears before him, the Lord blessed him and his family. The Lord reveals his own name to Jacob. He says, I am God Almighty. The Hebrew says, El Shaddai. God chose himself to be the all-powerful God of heaven and earth. He is the one who cared for Jacob in all the time he was in Paran Aram, who had just delivered him from the Canaanites and Jebusites by putting terror in their hearts, so they didn't attack and destroy him. God Almighty was the one who would be able to keep all the promises he was reaffirming to Jacob. God tells Jacob, be fruitful and multiply A nation and company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The Lord has often given the command to be fruitful and multiply to his people when they're starting out in a new place. He gave it to Adam and Eve in paradise. He gave it to Noah and his family after destroying the earth with the flood. And now he gives this command to Jacob's family as they resettle in the promised land. God promised to make this family into a nation. He said that kings would come forth from Jacob's line. Implicit is the promise of the coming Messiah, through whom all nations would be blessed. In our text, the Lord repeats what he promised Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 17, after changing their names. He is promising that Jacob's descendants wouldn't remain a small family of sojourners, In a land not their own. Much greater things are in store for them. They would become a mighty nation. The Lord promises to give the land they were living in to their descendants as their own possession. Beloved, look at how far God has progressed in just a few generations. Abraham had but a small family. Isaac had but one son of promise. But Jacob already had 11 sons. And later in this chapter, his youngest son, Benjamin, would be born. God is faithful. He's accomplishing his work through Jacob and his family. Our text concludes with the Lord going up from Jacob in that place where he had spoken with him. Three times in verses 13 to 15, our text mentions that Bethel is the place where God had spoken with him. The emphasis on the spoken word of God is important. For when Jacob leaves Bethel, he had to work with that spoken word of God. He needed to trust God's promises as he continued on his way, sojourning in the land of promise. The same applies to us. God has spoken to us in his word. He has promised us very great things, even greater than the promises that God made to Jacob. All the Lord's promises to Jacob and his family have found their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, it is in Him and through Him that God has adopted us to be His children. He has promised to be our God and Father, providing us with all good and averting all evil or turning it to our benefits. He has promised to wash away our sins in Christ's blood, to grant us. Righteousness in him. He has promised to live in us with his spirit. Working new life in us. More and more renewing us in Christ's image. Beloved, God has claimed us as his covenant people. That means that he is our God. And that we are his children. We belong to God. We're part of his family, the church. We are sons and daughters of the great king. Only by grace in Jesus Christ. God wants us to live in close communion with him. He's pleased when we heed the call to worship on Sunday, to come into his presence and give glory to his holy name. Through his word and sacraments, he strengthens and nourishes our faith. God draws us to him, and he keeps us living close with him. So what place do rules play in our lives? Can the adoption of a series of good laws or commands bring us to God? Or keep us living close to him? What do you think of Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life? Are they truly an antidote to chaos? To be fair to Dr. Peterson we have to acknowledge that he does advocate some common sense rules that may help people to straighten out their lives. Yet neither Peterson's 12 rules for life nor even God's Holy commandments provide a way out of our sins and misery. God's commandments reveal the greatness of our sin. They more and more convict us of our guilt. Yet the law does not provide a remedy or give mankind the power to rise out of his misery. For that we need God's saving mercy and grace. We need to come into his presence to experience his love in Jesus Christ. The reason why God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and established a covenant with them and their descendants was so that his son could be born from their line. So that Jesus Christ could come to fulfill the law we could not keep. So he could earn righteousness for us as wayward people. Beloved, through Jesus Christ, God has opened the way for us to come into fellowship with him. In our text, we see that it was only through a long and difficult struggle that Jacob finally saw the need to return to God, to put his faith and trust in him alone. Like Jacob and like Israel, we are often inclined to be self-focused, to be self-reliant, To think we don't really need God. Yet when we live life that way, life is a way of catching up with us. God will use whatever means necessary to break down our stubborn pride and to draw us to Himself. God desires intimate fellowship with you. Have you given your heart to God? Have you pledged your loyalty to him? Is that evident in your life? Make Christ the center of your life. Desire him above all else. Live in close fellowship with him. Then you will truly be blessed. Amen.